on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Andrew and Africa. It is Monday the 15th of January and this is Game On. Coming up today we'll be discussing the mixed weekend for the Irish provinces in the Champions Cup. We'll be joined by Stephen Ferris to reflect. In soccer we look back at a truncated Premier League weekend with Keith Tracy and Stephen Kelly and we'll also have a look at the African Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup Marie. If you want to get in touch, text us on 51552 or you can find us on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome along. How are you? Good. I am happy to be inside, I have to say, and um, enjoyed the weekend's sporting action. Keith Tracy is with us, well, with me in studio. Um, Sporting highlights. We always do a sporting highlight on a Monday, Keith. You're not usually with us on a Monday, so I'm I'm springing it on you. Yeah, well, there's two. I, I think there's a good one and a bad one. I think for anybody who's seen the Burnley and Luton game, the goal that was allowed for for the the goal that was allowed for Luton towards the end, I think is a definite, definite free kick. I think 99 times out of 100, the VAR will have one look at that and say, yeah, it's a foul. The fact that they've they've given it, I thought they were looking at it and thinking, how can we get people back on side here with VAR? So they decided <laughs> to give the goal, and obviously it's backfired. And the one for me is De Bruyne as well was absolutely outstanding. You know, I'm obviously an Arsenal fan and I'm thinking, are Manchester City going to stutter? And I was thinking, well, if De Bruyne comes back and he doesn't hit the ground running and maybe, you know, he's in and out and, you know, not quite finding his form, maybe there's half a chance that Liverpool, Arsenal, somebody can go and do something. But he put that to rest straight away. I'd imagine, though, De Bruyne is somebody that if they're injured, they're given it loads in the rehab and in the gym and working on every possible thing that they can do. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what you need. You know, so many so many teams and managers these days will go out and buy a good player and think, oh, well, he's technically good, so I'll go and buy him. But you need characters that, when you get setbacks like this, Kevin De Bruyne, probably one of Belgium's best ever players, Manchester City legend, won the Premier League, done so much in his career and gets a, gets knocked back right nearly at, near the start of the season. You know, so many players would just say, I'll take my foot off the gas for a month, a month and a bit, and when I'm starting to come back to full fitness, then maybe I'll start to take it seriously. But you can tell by the way he came on against Newcastle, that he's been living his life right. He hasn't been, he hasn't been loading up on carbs, and he's just been a, a proper, proper professional. And if you're a, if you're an Oscar Bob, a Phil Foden, a Jack Grealish, and you're looking in the in the physio room, and Kevin De Bruyne is in there giving us socks on a Monday morning, and you're thinking this fella's won the Premier League. He's one of the best players we have. Yeah, he's still running through brick walls when he's injured. I think he just sets the tone, and you need proper professionals like that who will who will police the dressing room and set the standards and you can see when Pep Guardiola speaks about Kevin De Bruyne he is that man and he's the one we trust and the goal he scored he's counter moving to go and collect the ball the other side of the Newcastle midfield and when he gets when he gets to Fabian Schaar you're thinking Fabian Schaar is in, in, the, in the channel for the shot so he can't get the shot off but just passes it through his legs with such ease such class and Absolutely excellent, and the Bernardo Silva flick was was outstanding. The last person I seen that was uh, was Canu for Arsenal. Brilliant, brilliant technique, and for me, yes, yeah, you're just about to hit that accelerator and leave a couple of people behind. But Keith, you can do all the training in the world. You can spend every Monday morning you like in the gym, not eat the carbs, drink water, do what you want. But you have to have natural talent to do what Kevin De Bruyne does. The pass for the last goal, that goal he scored himself, to put yourselves in the right position. How much training you do? You either have a football and brain like Kevin De Bruyne has, or you don't. Exactly, Ruby. And you know he's obviously one of those players that 
you know, I've been on the sideline and I, I've heard managers, you know, bringing me on after I've been injured and I'm literally just trying to feel my way into the game. I don't want to do anything wrong. I just want to get the, the you know, the foundations in place to get myself back. But not Kevin De Bruyne, an absolutely different class. He's there thinking, right, I'm going to come on and I'm going to win this game for us. And before you know it, it's two all. And before you know it, he's made that wonder pass to Oscar Bob. And even his interview after Ruby, they're saying, you know, what a ball, you were brilliant, you were outstanding. He said, well... If Oscar Bob doesn't make that run, I can't make that pass. So he's shifting all the all the plaudits onto the young lad Oscar Bob, and it was lovely feet to score the goal to get the ball around the around the goalkeeper. But the pass again was absolutely outstanding. So I, I could sing De Bruyne's praises all day long. Brilliant, like a knife through butter with some of his passing, and his finishing on the night was outstanding. Oscar Bob is never going to be known as Bob, is he? He's always going to be Oscar Bob. I say it just rolls off the tongue, though, doesn't it? Oscar Bob. You can't say Bob. It sounds like a force name. So Oscar Bob, I think it sounds brilliant. But yeah, he, he, his feet to get the, to put the ball in. And to be fair, when, when De Bruyne plays that ball, he gets the force touch ahead of Trippier. And Trippier leaves a little bit on him. And so many wingers would be thinking, I'll go down and make you know, give the ref a decision, maybe I'll get a penalty for it, but he he doesn't, he sees his name in lights and he goes and stays on his feet and finishes it off really, really well, so yeah, for me, I was thinking, you know, maybe City will stutter, but it doesn't look like it's going to be happening, so I think the fear that everybody has had, the rest of the league have had is there, uh, and there's this little notion of uh, Erling Haaland to come back as well, which is not too good for the rest of the league. It's frightening, we'll be getting into all of that with Stephen Kelly and Keith a little bit later on. Um, my highlight, Ruby, was Seamus Coleman making his 335th Premier League appearance for Everton, setting the record um, for his club for Premier League appearances. And I think because he's such a nice guy, it's just important to celebrate, celebrate the good guys and give him his moment because he absolutely deserves it. Mr. Consistency always seems to do and say the right thing, always representing Ireland so well and Donegal also but nobody has had a bad word to say about him he's just been the model professional and, and just seems like the nicest guy have you met him Ruby? I haven't met him but what about his hunger at the weekend as well oh. I mean everything <laughs> defended like their lives were on it and he was leaving the line Keith yeah no, look I, I, I played with Seamus uh, for the under 21 so I was I was the captain at the time and Seamus is just a just a brilliant, brilliant professional. And when you think of the, he had a really, really bad injury. Then he came back um, another another leg break, really, really bad injury. And just for somebody to come back with with those injuries and just keep going and keep going. And I think it cost sixty thousand from Sligo back in two thousand and nine. So, you know, it, you know, nobody's going to say Seamus Coleman is one of the best right backs in, in the Premier League. But for me, he's an absolute Irish legend. And you know, a lot of people will say he's a nice guy. And that's because he is. You know, mm. nobody has anything bad to say, say about him. When I first got into the Irish team, everybody was telling me how much of a nice guy Kevin Kilbane was, and you started thinking, why does everybody like him? And then you meet him, and you know straight away that's why everybody likes him. And I've had very few dealings with Seamus uh, in the under twenty ones. The under twenty ones with Don Givens. Okay. I, I was the captain, and he he had come in, just got into the under twenty ones. So Don sort of put it on me, make him feel welcome, make him feel at home. You know. Uh, ease him in type of thing but it quickly became evident that Seamus didn't need my help Seamus was he was a shy lad but you know when he was there to train he trained really really hard and he didn't uh, we didn't see too much of each other in the hotel that's probably because I was off messing and he was <laughs> off being a professional Ability wise what was he like when he was younger? Ability wise he was on a knife edge you know did I know when he came into the under 21 so he was going to come on and, and play 355 games in the Premier League no, not really. He he was a good runner, great engine, would would give you everything he had, but his quality just kept getting better and better and better. And where, where others were standing still, Seamus was still going forward and forward. And like Ruby says, with his desire, with that with that 
amount of injuries he's had at that mm. age, so many people could turn in, but not Seamus Coleman. He just keeps going. And very rarely, you know, does he say the wrong thing. And, you know, he's a perfect, perfect Irish captain for me. If you're a young lad getting into the Irish team, Seamus is the captain you want because he'll just make you feel at home and make you feel welcome. And that's what we need. He most certainly would. My my highlights, probably Munster's performance in Toulon, Marie, but we'll get to that with Stephen Ferris in a while. I thought it was going to be Rory McIlroy when he stood up on the 18th yesterday in Dubai, but unfortunately that wasn't for him when he drove it into the ocean. And Tommy Fleetwood ended up winning. Ronnie O'Sullivan was brilliant in the Masters last night. Not sure about the crowd in the Ali Pally, though. It wasn't a real snooker crowd, was it? Mm. Bit noisy. Didn't think they were overly fair on Ali Carter. And today I was hoping Andy Murray got on a bit better at the Australian Open than he did, but he was out in three straight sets. So that definitely wasn't a highlight. Yeah. Age, age probably, Ruby, is it? Although the other lads. Yeah, in fairness to Murray, uh, I think to go back, I know I've had injuries with hips and like he's playing with a prosthetic hip essentially and I think fair play to him to get back to where he's gotten to with a whole new limb like, mm. most people do well to get back running let alone getting back to playing tennis at that level yeah we'll, we'll, we'll applaud the participation then fair play to him exactly uh, Stephen Ferris is with us as well Stephen we'll get into the rugby actually we might be getting straight into it because I'm going to ask you what your sporting highlight is from the weekend um, I, st- I did sit up and watch the snooker last night, much to my wife's disappointment. Um, that I was sitting <laughs> watching that as, as it can't be quite boring and tedious at times. But anytime Ronnie O'Sullivan takes to the table, I'm always intrigued to see uh, what he's like. I, I would just wish he would open up a bit more in interviews. Um, I watched him afterwards, and he's just. I don't know. We all know his personality is a bit, uh, a bit different from a lot of others. But um, yeah, he's a quality operator on the on on the table, and I did feel like Ruby a little bit sorry for Ali Carter um, that the crowd were sort of getting on his back. But uh, brilliant to see. I think he's the the oldest person now to to win the Masters, uh, forty eight years of age, I believe. So um, yeah, he's still going strong, and uh, I look forward to seeing him for the rest of the rest of the snooker season. And Stephen, you probably needed a highlight after the rugby, did you? Um, yeah, well, do you know what? There's the the highlight for me of the weekend was watching Antoine Dupont in okay. Belfast. Fair. Like he was sensational. It was like going to a football match and watching Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. That's what it was like, and that's what the Ulster supporters were actually chatting about on the way out. And yeah, Ulster got well beaten, and they get dominated physically. Um, you know, they'll not be happy with some aspects of their performance, and I think they. I'm not. They absolutely didn't give up, but they gave up a few cheap scores. Um, too made it too easy for Toulouse, and you know Anton Dupont absolutely ran the show. Went off with ten minutes to go, picked up the man of the match award, and you know jumped back on the on the plane uh, back to France. So no, it was a, a demolition job by Toulouse and Belfast, and um, you know they're certainly going to be a match for anybody in this competition. It really just shows the importance of the the star power just to, to get away from what happened in the match because even when you're looking at next summer's Olympics, the opportunity to go and see somebody like him in that setting is such an attractive prospect and it shows just how much all the different sports need those big stars, Stephen, doesn't it? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and there was a moment in the game, uh, I think it was LaBelle's try, where he took Stuart McCloskey on the outside. And everybody was kind of going, oh, I'm not sure if Antoine Dupont sort of has the pace to play in sevens. You know, you look at all yeah. the Fijians, even the, the, the Irish sevens team, they're just full of pace. But he took McCloskey on on the outside, burnt him on the outside, and then just casually a lovely switch to LaBelle to, to get over. I think it was Romat who eventually scored the try for Toulouse. But it was just like it's simplicity and 
he just makes it look so so easy at full full tilt um, and yeah he was just a, an absolute joy to watch and uh, I think it was Jacob Stockdale trying to chase him down for one of his tries himself and he was able to get away from him so yeah I can't wait to see him at the at the Olympics uh, playing sevens because he's going to give us all something to cheer about and, uh, and hopefully um, the Irish boys can maybe shut him down uh, in the latter stages of the competition have you ever seen anybody that seems to be in the right place as often as DuPont? He must just have a different brain to everybody else. I, I, I have Ruby, and that would not uh, going to say yourself, now, are you? <laughs> no, Jesus, I was always lying at the bottom of the rocks trying to catch a breath. Um, somebody who'd never had as much pace as Antoine DuPont or the same physicality, but always received the ball at the right time, and that was Ruben Pinar. He was always there. He was always ahead of, ahead of play. He was always the one that, if there was a you know a break that went through and there was a two on one, he was the guy on the end of it. Um, just read the game extremely well. But Anton Dupont is a different animal altogether. It, like the way he hits people in defence. Um, you know, he, he wins most collisions. He he put Tom O'Toole, the the Irish future tight head, on his backside a couple of times, drove him back three or four yards. Um, uh, he's obviously got a lot more pace than Ruan Pinar as well can box kick off both feet I'm not sure Ruan could do that but yeah um, he is just the complete package and every team tries to shut him down don't they everybody tries to come up with a plan to maybe keep him quiet but nobody's done so yet it'll even be really interesting Stephen to see what he's like when he comes back um, we had Harry McNulty on the radio recently and he's the Ireland 7's captain and we were talking about players joining their setup, and and he was making the point that the sooner they come in the better because there is a huge amount that they need to learn and different facets to the game and, and parts of their own game that they will that they will need to 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 evolve to be able to fit into the to the seven set up so even the fact that he could go into that different environment and come out of it a different player is is, is frightening too yeah it is frightening and I, I was just like the simple things of getting the ball to lose through to the front of the line out an awful lot just to, to make sure and secure possession which was a brilliant tactic and, and Ulster couldn't get out their line out whatsoever during the game but off the front of the line out DuPont was able to zip a 30 metre pass straight into Ramos's hands on the run you know just just so casually done but with great accuracy and, and great pace on the ball and when you're playing sevens you know that's what counts when you have to throw those passes and off both hands he can just uh, put it on a sixpence for for whoever he's going to be playing with so um I actually think he's probably going to come back from this an, an even better player um, I'm sure his fitness levels are going to go absolutely through the roof also so um, when he comes back from the Olympics watch out uh, because Toulouse are going to have an even better player on their hands Well Ulster are going to have to pick themselves up off the floor because they have to go to Harlequins next weekend and they need four points if they're going to continue in this competition yeah, they do. Uh, Racing 92 obviously picked up, uh, you know, really disappointed actually that they didn't get the win against Bath away. They were in really good position, played some good rugby at times, but just fell short. They picked up a losing bonus point. I think that's him on three in the, in their um, in the group. And uh, you would expect them to, to beat Cardiff at home this weekend and probably get a bonus point. Um, Cardiff for uh, bottom of the log at the minute in, in the group. So, by all accounts, you would say, Ruby, that they're going to be on eight points. Uh, Ulster didn't pick up anything out of the game against Toulouse. And nothing's going to do apart from a, a victory in, in the Twickenham Stoop. And if they don't, it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped down into the Challenge Cup uh, position. And realistically, is that where they're at at the minute? 
um, two or three weeks ago, you might have said no when they beat Leinster and they beat Connacht and put in such a good performance against Racing 92. But I think that uh, that massive humbling defeat against Toulouse maybe you know opens up those small cracks again. And um, yeah, we'll wait and see what the weekend brings. But it's going to be a tough fixture against Quinns. If they do drop down into those uh, Challenge Cup places, it feels like that's a really disappointing return for Dan McFarland, Stephen. Yeah, I think it's uh, it would be absolutely. Um, you look at the, the the teams in the um, in in their group. You would back Ulster to be in the top four. Absolutely, you'd back Ulster to be in the top four and try and get into uh, secure that last sixteen spot. Um, Destiny's in their own hands. Unfortunately, they have to go away from home. They beat Quinns uh, a number of years ago in the snow. I was there, freezing um, up in the commentary position, but. Yeah, Quinns are playing some half decent rugby. They're sort of in and out. They're they're sometimes unbelievable, and then sometimes they can concede thirty or forty points as they did against Toulouse at home as well. So um, it's uh, it, it's going to be a tough fixture. And if Dan McFarland doesn't get the win and finds himself in the Challenge Cup, then I think it's it's going to be a, a huge disappointment. Um, not only for him and for the players, but the fans who had you know high expectations when they were signing World Cup winning uh, loose head props and um, you know getting a, a couple of really good results as a reference there over the last few weeks and if the season takes a bit of a nosedive then you know the pressure will come back on. The pressure will come on. Munster did their bit to try and alleviate some bit of pressure with a win against Toulon and it was really quite good. I thought Casey and Crowley were brilliant at nine to ten. I know the pack were great, but I thought they put great flow to the game. Yeah, they did. Um, I didn't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit this. I didn't see this coming. I, I just didn't. I just look at the team sheet of Toulon and the players that they have, the game changers that they had. I know they showed that with uh, a couple of the tries that they scored, but fair play to Monster. Like it just when their backs are against the wall, you just see a different, a different team. I know Graham Roundtree was probably similar uh, as a player also. You know, he relished that. He, he enjoyed the pressure of having to go away from home and, and get a result or else you're out of the competition more or less. And, you know, that some of the players really stood up. I think Nankaval and Frisch in the centre is a really good combination. Obviously, Casey and Crowley, really good combination. Back row, Coombs, much better in the number eight position than in the, in the second row. Um, Thomas O'Hearn, uh, you know, another try for him. He's playing some outstanding rugby. And like John Hodnett, 20 tackles made in the game um, was sensational. Their line out functioned a lot better than it has done. So, yeah, I think a, a bit of desperation, Ruby, um, got them over the line. And some of their big game players, like Simon Zabo and Jack Crowley, that you mentioned, you know, had brilliant matches and, and drove the boys forward and got them over the winning line. Do you think it's the they're getting that right mix of what Munster stand for from the olden days to what they're trying to do now? That balance. Yeah, I think I think they've had the balance for I suppose at the start of last season, Marie, the way there was the pressure of you know um, Graham Rowntree and what he was trying to actually do and change the way that they played, and we all know that that took us probably a lot more time than everybody had hoped but they went on to win the URC and with the amount of players that they have out and some of the performances that they have put on, put in you know, Glasgow um, down in Cork you know, put 40 points on them down there um, this victory as well but it's just that inconsistency isn't it you know that Bayonne game at home 
um, and a, a couple of others there as well. They're, they're a side that I still feel is a little bit in transition. And the only reason I say that is because they don't have their full deck to pick from. I feel if they had their full deck of of, of lads to pick from, that you know the the style of rugby that they're they're trying to implement would just come that little bit easier. So um, yeah, the, for, for me, they're they're always every team's a work in progress, and I'm sure Graham Roundtree would agree with that but uh, they're a team that never lies down they're a team that has uh, desperation as I mentioned and I, I, I firmly feel that you know, once they're fully loaded they'll give anybody a match And what about when you throw in Peter O'Mahony how big of an impact did he have and how, how important is it to have a character like him within your team? Yeah like he's um, I, I actually just seeing his name on the team sheet fills you full of confidence that Munster are going to be um, significantly better um, and it's just because he's driving the lads like he didn't do an awful lot on the pitch to to, to you know have an impact on the result but it's maybe not what he he did on the, in, in the 80 minutes at the weekend it's maybe the three or four days leading up to uh, the, taking the pitch the travel on the way over the team meetings um, you know the leadership group um, driving boys on at half time in the change room, even you know during the game being vocal uh, defensively in the line out, um, getting up and spoiling a few. I think uh, you know Toulon had 17 line outs in the game. I know they won 13 or 14 of them, but you know he's just that guy that's very very good in defensive line out, and I think he just gives everybody a bit more confidence when he when he's taking the pitch. And yeah, we don't know what his future is. Marie going forward, but um, hopefully he's going to keep enjoying his rugby at Munster and, and try and get these young guys to follow suit. Well, it's everybody in Munster is hoping his future will be prolonged. Mathematically, Connacht are not out of this competition, but they do need a couple of miracles. They tried hard, worked their socks off, got a great start with Sean Jansen, but it's just not good enough, are they? No, not good enough, Ruby. And like the the big problem is that they concede far too many points. You know, thirty four at the weekend. It was fifty five against Saracens, forty one at home to Bordeaux, fifty three against the Bulls in the URC a couple of weeks previous. Like you know, you're not going to win or be in with a chance of winning too many games when you're, uh, you know, conceding that many points. And the team has been shuffled around a little bit. And I'm just not sure the, the, if they can find the right balance of uh, of players to, to make them tick, but they gotta you know they gotta make their big hits and they gotta make them stick. And unfortunately, there's been too many line breaks against them and too many tries scored. Um, and yeah, mathematically they're not out, they're not out of it. But I think uh, they're a team that I don't, I don't I'm not too sure if they'd, they'd mind not making the, the the last 16 and they can focus more on the on the URC where they're better positioned. It would look that way and then we'll get to the cream of the crop and that was Leinster and I must say as I sat down to watch that I could watch Gary Ringlos play rugby all day every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're all still cream of the crop then a couple of weeks ago when they beat Leinster, were they? No, they weren't. You can live on small mercies and have the odd dream here and there, Fez, but no. Uh, uh, and is that Munster performance not cream of the crop? Yeah, because I Leinster think it was, put I think it was. 43 on Stade France. Yeah, whatever team they brought, Depleted it's just consistently week after week after week what Leinster are doing. Until they get to me, Champions Cup finals. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I and I look, France, and I'm a Leinster team, man. Ruby. I'm a Leinster man who supports Munster. I'm not exactly in the blue camp, but when you sit and watch them, be realistic, guys. They're the best team in, on this island, probably in Europe. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it's hard to disagree with, and you know, scoring a shed load of points 
I think the the balance in the back row for me that's what I'm always analysing and having a look at and, and and seeing how they work off each other. Uh, Jack Conan, like it, it almost feels since he went away to the, with the British and Irish Lions and started at, at number eight in those test matches that it sort of hasn't happened for him since. Like you know, there's other guys that are um, you know, chomping at his ankles to to get in ahead of him and. And now it's Ryan Baird that seems to have leapfrogged him a little bit. Um, he's an incredible athlete at six. Josh van der Fleer, obviously, at seven. Um, we can make another change there if you want. And then Keelan Doris, who was man of the match at the weekend at number eight, who just doesn't have a bad game. And, uh, yeah, quality, quality side. And starting to play some good stuff. And, um, you know, Gary Ringrose, I think Jordan Larmer was exceptional also. 12 carries, beat nine defenders. I know he beat about seven of those in one carry, but, um, yeah, twinkle toes and a couple of tries. And it's going to be brilliant to see what um, squad Andy Farrell selects because, you know, some of the guys, we're all, all talking about Jacob Stockdale before the weekend, and then all of a sudden now we're sort of talking about Jordan Larmer and Calvin Nash. Um, who both played brilliantly well and can play more so on the right wing compared to Jacob on the left. So, um, yeah, it was a brilliant performance by them and they're no doubt going to be the favourites to win the, the Heineken Champions Cup this season and there'll be a few other teams that'll be there thereabouts but Leinster are certainly up there as favourites. So let's move on to Andy Farrell's squad. It'll be announced on Wednesday and just a couple of predictions for from you, Stephen. Uh, who will be the captain? Oh, um, I need to give Bernard Jackman a ring before I come on here just to find out <laughs> if he knows anything that I don't know. Um, I always look at this now after a Rugby World Cup. Is it time to like really freshen things up? Is it like, you know, I know there's maybe four or five lads that are on national contracts that aren't probably going to make the next Rugby World Cup. So is it time to like move them aside and bring in the fresh blood? Like, I suppose that's why I'm not in the top job and that's why Andy Farrell gets paid the big bucks to make the big decisions. But yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see um, who's going to come in, um, who's going to be given opportunities. Um, you know, even mentioned John Hodnett there uh, for Munster, somebody who's been playing brilliantly for Ulster. One of the only ones that's been very consistent is Nick Timoney in the back row. Um, but then you've the Leinster lads here, you know, flying it at the minute as well. But just to answer your question, Marie, I think I'm going to go for James Ryan. Okay. Wouldn't disagree. I mind you, I probably would, but I was a back and you are a forward. I would say it should be, <laughs> I would say it should be Gary Ringrose. I think he's doing an incredible... Even his form at Leinster, now that he's starting with captain, to me, he's standing up. I think he's yeah. the obvious one. Yeah, well, there, there's, a, there's a few, like, um, I know... People have talked about Keelan Doris. He obviously went to Blackrock, Captain Blackrock, I believe. Well, so Bernard Jackman told me anyway. Um, and yeah, he could be another candidate. I think I think you have to have your captain as like the first name on the team sheet. You know, so there can't be any indecision. Uh, I don't think so. And like he's, you know, I know there's speculation around. Um, you know, his future, like, uh, you know, yeah. dropping the monster captaincy and, um, you know, w w what's going down on down there. He's been out injured for a large part since coming back from the Rugby World Cup. Um, and, yeah, uh, is he is he a shoe-in with Ryan Baird and with Jack Conan and Nick Timoney and mm -hmm. um, a few others there? So uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't think he is. So that's why I would go for somebody like absolutely Gary Ringoos or, or Big James Ryan. Find, yeah, out find out Will Wednesday. Find out Wednesday. 
well, they... Oh, Ruby. Well, well the squad announcement is Wednesday. I'm assuming they're going to name a captain. We're waiting to name a captain until he has to name a team. Ruby, throwing a... What's the... That'd be what I would do. If I was Andy Farrell, that's what I'd be doing. Anyway. I wouldn't be name a captain until I had to name a team. What usually happens, Stephen? Um... Flip, I don't know. It was always just Draco was captain, like when I was playing. You never had <laughs> to think it. about it. <laughs> he, he was always playing every every game, so um, we all just automatically assumed it was him. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, maybe we won't find out Wednesday then, right? That's uh, that has complicated matters. Stephen Ferris, thank you so much. Thanks, Mel. Talk to you See soon. You. We're going to take um, a quick break. Ruby, you always complicate things. We're going to take a very I, quick. I break. thought that was so obvious. No. I just assumed that they, when he's naming his squad, he'd name his captain. Never assume anything, Marie. Yeah, true. You're so right. Early lessons in 2024. Uh, we're going to have hockey next. Um, the Ireland women's team are bidding to qualify for the Olympics and they're getting there. They're flying too. 8 0 winners against the Ukraine. Yeah. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. As Ruby mentioned just before the break, the Ireland women's hockey team are flying as they bid to qualify for the upcoming Olympic Games. Shirley McKay joins us now on the line to talk us through how their qualification uh, bid is going. And so far, so good, it seems, Shirley. Yeah, not not a bad start, I think, if you'd uh, told them they were going to go into go into the next game with four points from the first two games, they'd have, they'd have taken that. So, yeah, it's all been very positive. Good draw on Sunday against Belgium, nil all draw. They were the silver medalists, of course, um, in the European Championship. So beat the Ukraine, it sets them up for the next game nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Belgium probably the the top ranked side in the in the competition. So to get a, a point, um, not only on the board but also for confidence, you know, a really good defensive performance and uh, set them up nicely for the Ukraine game today. So what about South Korea then tomorrow evening? Yeah, I think um, I think it's 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 all there for the taking. They've, as I said, they've already um, put themselves in a really good place. I think like, they just need a point. Obviously, they'll be like to win the game. That's a difficult can be a difficult dynamic to have, but uh, they're 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 more than than capable of of getting a result against Korea. And, and fingers crossed that will set them up nicely for the rest of the tournament. And just in terms of the team, Shirley, because a lot of people would just tune in for the major events whether it's a World Cup final or a, an Olympic Games how has the team evolved over the last few years? Yeah obviously um, post Tokyo there was a, a couple of players that, 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 that stepped away and, and there's been a lot of young blood come through over the last couple of years and it's been it's been really fantastic to see and there's there's so much young talent um, running rings around us, us old folks so uh, yeah no, it's been it's been great to see and, and there's a lot a lot of good um, young but also experienced players in that team. That, that that a lot of a lot of players that played in Tokyo um, mixed with uh, younger girls who, who have come through and playing with freedom and, and just going out and, and and playing, you know, without without any fear. So a really good combination at the moment. There's obviously eight teams in this qualification. Two groups of four. Top two teams going to the semi-finals. It looks like it'll be Spain and Great Britain from the other side. Which of those would you prefer to face in a semi-final? <laughs> I, yeah, it's probably a toss-up. You know, both 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 Spain and GB are, are fantastic, um, and fantastic sides, and it's going to take a really good performance against either if they make it to to, to beat them. So I don't I don't think they'll probably be to pe- or pick one or the other at the moment. I think they're both good, and and they'll have to be on top form to, to to get a result. So, um, but I think on their day on the day the, the group is as talented enough to take on anyone. So, and they've already shown that against Belgium. So uh, they'll be looking forward to it. I'm sure. 
There are three teams to qualify, so should Ireland and Belgium lose in the semi-finals, they'd face Belgium again. Do you think that, having watched them yesterday, that they could turn Belgium around on another, on another day? Potentially, yeah. I mean, I think Belgium have, have, have shown they, they beat Korea 10-1 today, so yeah, I think they were a bit cross after the, the draw against Ireland the other day. So um, I think they're, I can't see them not um, progressing to the final. So I think if, if Ireland were to, to hopefully make the semi-finals and not make it into the final, they'd have another opportunity to try and qualify against uh, against someone like a, you know, a Spain or a GB again. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. The men are also trying to qualify for the Olympics. They had a, a very good win over Ukraine um, earlier today. How likely is it that they will get there, do you think, Shirley? Yeah, I think they have a really, really fantastic um, opportunity, um, probably on paper, um, you know, as, as good as draws they could have hoped to try and make it. So I think they're in action against Belgium this evening and that will be obviously a tough game. Uh, Belgian men are, are, are top ranked side but um, they'll be hoping to make it through to the semi-finals and have every chance and hopefully qualify as well It feels like there's a lot of games when you're in it do they come thick and fast or is it almost uh, is, it, is it too relentless or are you well prepped for those kind of um, those kind of setups? Yeah I mean you'd be fairly well prepped anytime you go with it you know what to a training block or play a series it's usually three games in maybe four days so um, it is it, it, it can be relentless but it's also good sometimes um, tournament hockey if you're sitting around or waiting a couple of days you're just itching to get going you know all the hard work's been done and, and the prep has already been, been, been um, carried out so you just want to get going and, and they do come thick and fast but um, that's part of the beauty of it Yeah and of course there is that amazing carriage at the end with the Olympic Games not that uh, far away Shirley thank you so much for joining us appreciate it and looking forward to following the journey of the men's and no women's problem. hockey team we'll talk to you soon Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Megan. We're going to take another very quick break. Uh, Stay with us, though. We'll be back uh, very shortly talking football. Game on on 2FM. Uh, Welcome back. We are turning our attention to football and we're going to start with the Africa Cup of Nations. Well, last night there was Irish interest in the Ghana-Cape Verde game with Pico Lopez playing for Cape Verde and uh, Chris Hewton managing Ghana and it was a 2-1 win for Cape Verde with Pico Lopez looking very, very comfortable at that level. So the AFCON is going to be with us for the next few weeks. So Raf Diallo of Orchi Sport has done a little guide to set us up for what may come. Well, it's that time of year again that tends to be the bane of existence for managers in the Premier League and Europe's major leagues. The biennial Africa Cup of Nations kicked off its 34th edition in the host nation Ivory Coast on Saturday night. And all but three English top flight teams, that's Manchester City, Newcastle and Burnley, being the major exceptions of players at the tournament. 24 teams are split into six groups and are vying for glory. And there is some Irish interest. Many of us know the story of Shamrock Rovers defender Roberto Lopez, who's gone from Crumlin to Cap Verde. The islands off the western coast of Africa is where his father hails from. And Pico was initially recruited via LinkedIn, which isn't the usual pathway for prospective international footballers. This Nations Cup happens to be a second for Cap Verde, and he's already had a major highlight. On Sunday night in their opening group game, the Blue Sharks beat four-time champions Ghana, who happened to be managed by one of the people heavily linked with the vacant Ireland job. That, of course, is the former Ireland international Chris Hewton, who has plenty of managerial experience under his belt with the likes of Newcastle, Norwich and Brighton. But it has been a very mixed bag with Ghana since he moved from the technical director role to becoming head coach. They've won three, drawn three and now lost four of the ten matches in which he's been in charge and they will need a quick turnaround to avoid another group stage exit. As for the favourites, one of them is Morocco, who made history at the last World Cup by becoming the first African team to reach the semi-finals. 
They've quality across the pitch from Hakim Ziyech, Safian Amrabat and Ashraf Hakimi, plus the goalkeeper Bono. But they haven't found what they're looking for since their only Nations Cup triumph back in 1976. And the big question is how they cope with the favourites tag. In Qatar, they were underdogs and were compact defensively as they shot Spain and Portugal in the knockout stages. But when teams turned the tables on them in the Ivory Coast, will they be able to break down the opposition? The other big favourites are the reigning champions, Senegal. They won their first title after a dramatic penalty shootout victory over Egypt two years ago. Sadio Mane, who converted that winning kick, is their key man again, along with captain and defensive linchpin Khalidou Koulibaly. Like Morocco, they have depth and quality across the pitch, but will it be a tournament too far for their best players, who are all on the wrong side of 30? But Sadio Mane's old Liverpool teammate Mo Salah is still banging in the goals for Jurgen Klopp's side, but his attentions are now squarely fixed on filling the only gap in his CV, which is winning a major tournament with Egypt. He's come close before, but time is running out as he enters the winter of his career. His late penalty against Mozambique on Sunday rescued Egypt from the jaws of defeat in their group opener, and the Pharaohs will definitely need him at his best if they are to win for the first time since 2010. Nigeria, too, are always among the favourites and are spearheaded by Africa's reigning footballer of the year, Victor Osman. Like Salah, he scored at the weekend, but like Egypt, Nigeria's start was far from perfect after drawing with Equatorial Guinea. It's a hard tournament to predict as the last six editions have thrown up six different winners. But the African Cup of Nations isn't the only show in town. The Asian Cup has also kicked off in Qatar. Japan are the big favourites with a huge amount of quality in their squad and the confidence gained from beating Spain and Germany at the last World Cup. But they'll have plenty of competition if they're to go all the way. South Korea have gone to more World Cups than any other Asian country, but they haven't won an Asian Cup since 1960. It's not quite a drought of Mayo proportions, but it's not far off. Spurs captain Son Heung-min will be going all out to win it in what is likely to be the last major tournament when he'll be close to his peak. Jurgen Klinsmann's side also have a strong supporting cast in Bayern Munich defender Kim Min-jae and Wolves' in-form forward Hwang Hee-chan. The other contenders are likely to be Australia, Iran and Roberto Mancini's Saudi Arabia, as well as the hosts Qatar, who are the reigning champions. Both the African and Asian Cups will run until early February and while Klopp, Arteta and Postacoglu will want their key men back at the earliest opportunity... These tournaments are a good gauge as to where some of these teams will be at before the next World Cup, which, lest we forget, is only two and a half years away, where there will be more representation from those two continents with the expansion to 48 teams. And that was Raf Diallo giving us an overview of the AFCON. I watched the game last night, Ruby, the Cape Verde and Ghana game, and I found it quite entertaining, but I did enjoy the fact that there was some Irish interest in it as well, but... Tell the truth, you were watching Egypt play Mozambique, hoping Mo Salah would win the penalty and he'd be home quicker. Well, I was kind of hoping that, all right, yeah. Not home, back to back Liverpool, to Liverpool quicker. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's football, there's something on. I enjoyed it. Keith, Are you watching Keith? I was watching, yeah, I wanted to see um, Kiko Lopez up against Semenyo, obviously a, a Bournemouth player, Premier League player. So Kiko actually think did quite well. I thought Cape Verde did, did, uh, did quite well, but... I think Ghana were, were really, really undercooked, one of the favourites for the for the tournament, but really undercooked. And yeah, I thought Kiko did well, obviously up against Premier League striker. So yeah, obviously with the Irish interest, you, you mm. have a, a, a look at him. But yeah, didn't look out of place whatsoever. So that that from a, an Irish point of view, from a Shamrock Rovers point of view, is is encouraging. We'll see how he goes against Mo Salah now. That would be the big test. <laughs> yeah, it might get a little bit harder. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ray, of course, Chris Houghton had a run in with some Ghana supporters, and he came back to the team hotel. There was one arrested and dragged off, and maybe that'll push him to the Irish job a bit quicker. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I don't know. Ruby, like, there's there's so many names up in the air. You know, Chris Hunton is obviously one of them, and he he has a brilliant CV. He was a he was a very good footballer. He he, he translated that into being a, a very good manager. Done really well with Brighton, but 
I, ju- I just don't know, you know, I- I've heard an awful lot of names and nothing is, is initially jumping out at me saying, yeah, that'll be a fix. I think it's not exactly, you know, who's coming in, it's what's coming in. I think it's it, we, we need a manager who's going to be enough, very, very pragmatic with what we have. I don't think a manager can come in and say, I'm going to play this style of football because I think we've done that for the last three years under Stephen Kenny and we haven't really got anywhere. We've been standing still. So for me, the next manager has to be pragmatic. If that is Chris Hewton, then, then so be it. But I just don't think it's one that... It's going to fill out the Aviv, you know. Chris Hewton, obviously, a, 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 as I said, a very good, a very good manager, a very good player. But I don't think he put he puts bums in seats in the Aviv. Who? Well, the one that jumps out straight away is Roy Keane. Now, I'm not saying that he should get the job, but I think if if Roy was to get the job, I think we'd all agree that the Aviva would be sold out every single game. So, look, it, I, I think we need something like that. I think this this Irish team at the minute is just standing still, and we just need we just need the lads to to give us something to get behind. And look, if that's if that's just winning a couple of games and you know fighting it out and you know bringing back the the heart and the the Irish underdog mentality, then so be it. Because you know, not everybody can play this pretty style of football. There's more than one way to win a game of football, and if, if it has to be a little bit, pro, little bit more pragmatic, then so be it. Would that be called results? Results, Ruby. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I just don't want to get to a point where, in in in, in this uh, in this campaign, we we lost we lost in Athens to Greece, and then pretty much it was done. And then we got beat again. We did okay against the French and the Dutch, but we need to be beating teams in and around us. We have to be competitive in groups, and it, it, that for me is always, you know, every every team I've ever played on, it's about clean sheets. And if you keep a clean sheet, you don't lose the game. You, at best, you get a point. So, for me, we need to be defensively solid. I think that's always been. You know, over the last couple of years, with with the likes of Shane Duffy, Nathan Collins, Seamus Coleman, our defence is not bad. Now we have Evan Ferguson. We have that little bit of stardust that, if we give him a chance, he'll hit the back of the net. But we have to keep the ball out of our net. And if we do that, we have the bones of a team there. But if you're telling me that we're gonna we're gonna keep persisting with this sexy style of football and trying to play through the lines against the likes of Greece. You know, and, and Luxembourg, Gibraltar, the list goes on. It just doesn't. You know, we've struggled against these teams playing football. So why not just cut our cloth accordingly and, and try and beat them the way we know how? Stephen Kelly, would you agree with Keith there and uh, like to see Roy Keane back in the Ireland hot seat? Well, he wasn't in it, but in the Ireland hot seat. He doesn't want to answer you. No, he doesn't. Or line isn't working so we'll have to come back to yeah right the line was Stephen. working he's just sitting on the fence he's definitely not going to give us a comment on that one no I think we have Stephen <laughs> Stephen do you think I'm uh, here, sorry. would you I'm like Roy Keane I don't know about Roy um, I don't know whether he's the right man I think yeah he, it'd be interesting it'd be a good watch it, you know you, you'd be there just because you're not too sure what's going to happen um, but is he the person that's going to transform the Irish team into a team that's competitive like Key is trying to say and you know is he going to be a pragmatic style manager him on his own I don't think so him bringing in someone of a wealth of experience that's proven in the game with him maybe so um, you know a double whammy of, of, of someone alongside of him but I just feel that Roy has been out of game for a long time as a manager so I think bringing him back in in this situation I don't think it's going to be hugely successful even though it'd be a popular choice for the fans going in to watch games Roy Keane and John O'Shea I could see that yeah why not look I'm not saying Roy should get the job but I just think that if you know any Irish fans picked up the paper tomorrow and you see Roy Keane has get the Irish job I think everybody's going to clamour to get a couple of tickets and see what unfolds and I just think we need some sort of bounce if that's you know getting an old star in who who has a, a brilliant uh, brilliant football and CV behind, CV behind him then so be it but 
I, I would, you know, I, I obviously have reservations about. I do think Roy can be a little bit heavy-handed with these younger players, and our Irish squad is quite young mm. at the minute. But you know, fear for me was always a great motivator. And the one thing for me is when when ex players, as a player, when I'm in a dressing room, the likes of a, a Gary Speed walks into the Sheffield United dressing room, the first thing you want to do is I want to prove I'm a player. I want him to think I'm a good player. And I think if Roy Kane was to become the the Ireland manager's job, I think so many people would look and think I want to impress mm-hmm. him. I, I want to knuckle down and impress Roy Kane. So look, there's a there's a whole host. I think Damien Duff as well realistically yeah. will be in the mixer because we're only paying I think a half a million a year. So you know we're not going to get Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp in. We need to be need to be realistic about this. So yeah, look, I think an, an old legend. And a lot of people are saying, well, Stephen Kenny came in the League of Ireland, so we can't have a Damien Duff. I think that's totally different. I don't think that argument sticks whatsoever. Well, Pep is on as well. always on about new challenges, and that would be one hell of a challenge if he was up for it. But Stephen Kelly, I must say, when I looked at the fixture list at the weekend, I was thinking I'm going to have to listen to him on Monday. And thankfully, United managed to get a draw. <laughs> they they did. Luckily, 64 percent possession for Tottenham, so they hung on there, didn't they? Um, it was it was fair. It was a good game. It was a good game to watch um, as a neutral, which where neither of us are, Ruby. <laughs> it, was, no. it was enjoyable football. Uh, uh, United on the counter-attack looked dangerous um, they were trying to get into the areas I suppose vacating the two fullback areas Rashford and Ganacho looked decent um, but I think the goals that Tottenham gave away were poor defensively as were the United ones but I think United, uh, Spurs dominated in the forward areas and if you had someone there like like the likes of a son or Kulabzessi I think we win that game but listen I think Tottenham going to Old Trafford you take a point um, and United could have won at the end McTominay you know he's been popping up with some important goals and that was a guilt edge chance for him to, to put that one away at the end so you know, they they wrote a look at that at that moment Keith will either manager do you think be happy coming away? I, d- I don't think either will be happy with a point but when you look at it I think like Stephen has said there with Madison Kulazewski Papasar Son and Basuma they're five starters that would have been in that Spurs team so you'd imagine that Spurs would be happier with the point just because they had some of their, their, their bigger players out but could have easily lost it and again like I love watching sports. Whenever they're on the telly, I make a point to watch them because it's brilliant to watch. It's so entertaining, but it's so kamikaze. You know, you know I'm, I'm sure we, I've already spoke about Kevin De Bruyne coming back and hitting the ground running. Ben Tancourt for sports has been absolutely excellent. Mm. Had, a really, had a serious, serious injury, but just comes back, looks brilliant in there. Very, very rarely will you see him lose the ball or get flustered on the ball excellent player and his goal against United was brilliant and the team of Verna I think a lot of people are saying you know team of Verna he looks like he has everything if he had everything he'd still be at Chelsea Chelsea let him go for a reason because he was not productive enough and people are trying to convince me team of Verna he's going to do this and he's going to do that I think he'll do okay and a lot of people say will we keep him will we won't just like he did at Chelsea I think he has a lot of pace he makes great runs but at the end of the day for a winger he's not productive enough no, and he's gone from Chelsea, but Stephen Chelsea are making progress. They're up to ninth in the league, 31 points, and managed to scrape by Fulham at the weekend. They did indeed, yeah, I know. <laughs> the stick is going to come back to beat me all season until they get to the top four. Um, but <laughs> Chelsea, no, it's, it was a good penalty, Palmer. Um, Fulham are just being up and down. I don't know, they, they, they're, they're capable of being anybody at times, and then they, they, they're also capable of throwing in. I think just, just at moments that they're focused on that league game, they did really well against Liverpool, but I think Chelsea was a bit too much for them. Um, Palmer took his penalty really well. They had a couple of chances before, that great header that they put just past the post is what, what I, can, I can think of. And Chelsea are, I don't know, I, I, I find it so hard to write them off. I, I said, I, again, I don't think they're going to be winning leagues but do I think they'll have a say on it and they can beat big teams in the day yeah I still believe that and I still think they'll they'll do something towards the end they'll, they'll 
they'll, they'll gain a head of steam but um, they're not convinced of yet but what about that strike that Connor um, Gallagher won off the uh, sort of first time what a wonderful goal that would have been if they had gone in Everton and Villa played out a draw do Villa need to be beaten these kind of teams yeah I think if, if realistically if Villa want to finish in the top four or you know sh- Stay within the stay within the title race, then they need to be beating the likes of Everton. And to be honest, I thought if anybody was going to win the game, it was going to be Everton. Calvert Lewin had a really, really good chance that Martinez made a great save. And the the one thing that watching Everton, I love watching Tarkovsky. You know, I think he got his his eyebrow glued in the first couple of minutes. Just kept running. He puts uh, Alex Moreno mills him, puts him into Rose Ed, gets a yellow card when everybody else starts pushing and shoving. It was just real old school. You know, give everything mentality and. Everything for me, you know, I think they're going to be fine. There's an awful lot more stuff about the the, the fair play, the mm-hmm. financial fair play stuff coming back up. But I think even even the most adamant Everton fan are saying with, with Sean Dyche there, they'll be okay. And I, I was asked the question if Postatoglu or Sean Dyche is doing a better job this season. And I have to be honest, I think it's Sean Dyche. I think he's really managing that club with his hands behind his back. Best pl- best players leaving the building before before the start of the season. And the, obviously the 10-point deduction, a lot of clubs would have went south. You know, the bad feeling would have just crept in and, and really killed them. But Sean Dyche hasn't allowed it to happen and it's it's testament to him and, and the players. Just on that financial fair play, because it is a, a bit of breaking news. So before we came on air the Premier League announced that it had charged Everton and Nottingham Forest with breaching its financial rules both clubs have been referred to an independent commission for alleged breaches of profit and sustainability rules in their accounts for 22-23 Everton as we know are currently appealing against a 10 point deduction from a previous charge the Premier League released a statement and they said that Everton and Notts Forest have each confirmed they're in breach of the league's profitability and sustainability rules and said this is a result of sustaining losses above the permit thresholds for the assessment period ending at 22-23 and in accordance with the Premier League rules both cases have now been referred to the chair of the judicial panel who will appoint separate commissions to determine the appropriate sanction um, Stephen just given what has happened to Everton before this does sound like it's very serious and could it impact both clubs yeah well um, it's crazy they just think it's, like, it's Everton and, and Forest that are the ones that are getting being done for this I know there's got to be other teams that are in this situation it's, it's, it's amazing that they've not come in I know obviously the teams in the top four can show higher earnings higher jersey sales Champions League all that sort of stuff that goes with it but you kind of feel like the, the overspend they must have must be ginormous um, but yeah this this is not good for Everton and Forest because you can see how quickly the league acted um, and another points deduction would not be good for either team. I think Forrest it, w- it will put the nail in the coffin going down um, Everton I think have enough about them to probably fight it out because the teams below them are poor but uh, yeah it's, it, it doesn't bode well for either side and for other teams I think I think if they're starting mm-hmm. to really get the grips of this now there's going to be a lot of teams getting stung Well Mark Langdon and Paul Corey will be on with us tomorrow we'll go through this in further detail and also talk about the rest of the weekends of football that we didn't get a chance to speak about Uh, Stephen Kelly thank you so much Uh, Keith Tracy thank you as well for coming into studio that is all we have time for myself and Ruby are both back tomorrow We surely will if you can't sleep the Australian Open is on in the middle of the night and Carlos Alcaraz is on at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning Peter De Silva is up next RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.